If you're able, please stand with me and take out your Bibles and open to the book of Philemon. The letter to Philemon will be our reading as well as the context of our sermon this morning. Philemon, beginning in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me even your own self, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Ascends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let's go before the Lord for his help to hear. Father, we help. We ask now for help by the presence of your Holy Spirit. to hear these very gracious words of a very gracious apostle because of a very gracious Savior, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us just to hear rightly and apply these truths to our own lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We continue our series on forgiveness. Blessed, says King David, are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is, is covered. So we looked at Psalm 32 in this series. We've seen that forgiveness in Christ says, go in peace. As the Lord said, to the woman who was referred to as, as a sinner, a woman of the city. Forgiveness says, come near to me. As Joseph said to his brothers who 22 years before sold him off as a slave. Forgiveness teaches us that those who have been forgiven much love much. When you understand the forgiveness of Christ, love for him is off the charts. 
And we've come to see that those who have been forgiven are forgiving. Probably the hardest lesson of them all. Philemon is a very short epistle with a very serious message um, about forgiveness. That, that, that is for certain, but there's much more here that, that is taught to us, as we'll see this morning, than just forgiveness. It, it's showing us Christ through the Apostle Paul. We're seeing the Lord Jesus um, in a postcard of a letter through Paul addressed to his dear friend Philemon, who Paul had in previous years um, led to faith in Jesus Christ. He led Philemon to Christ, and by the grace of God, Philemon was converted. That was during his ministry in Colossae. Uh, Philemon was a wealthy man who lived in Colossae. And he had an unbelieving slave by the name of Onesimus who had stolen from his master and and ran away. We don't know exactly what it was that he stole, but in in order to fund his escape, having um, betrayed Philemon's trust, he bit the hand that fed him and he fled. Now, it's important to note, we talk about slavery. Um, Ancient Roman slavery, beloved, um, wasn't like the slavery practiced in the United States during the 18th and 19th centuries. Um, Then, it was more of an indentured servant role. Philemon would, would have been more of a household employee of Philemon, owned nevertheless, by Philemon. Now, servants were a valued investment in this day. And running away was not tolerated in the Roman Empire. It was a very serious offense. And if a slave was found on the run, he would have been branded with the letter F, Latin for for fugitivus, fugitive, a deserter, a a runaway. Oftentimes they'd be tortured. Some would even be crucified. So it was very serious to go AWOL. Onesimus is absent without leave. He's on the run, thinking that that he could hide out in, in the ghettos or the urban sprawl of the city of Rome. And it's probable that he was caught and apprehended in Rome, imprisoned, and in that prison, for an entirely different reason, is this inmate, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he is in chains. Now, it is possible that Onesimus... Um, knew Paul, was familiar with Paul. It's possible from his uh, teaching and, and preaching in Colossae. Perhaps he was familiar with Paul and, and Philemon's um, friendship. We don't know for certain. Either way, it was during Paul's captivity that the two of them were providentially brought together, were brought together, united by God himself. And Paul leads this man to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So what we have here is a personal letter to a personal friend about a personal matter. Written to Philemon, who we read here was a loving, godly man of faith who loved Christ, ministering and refreshing the hearts of God's people, Hosting, as he did, a congregation in his own home. Look at his words there, beginning in verse 1. To Philemon, our beloved brother uh, and fellow worker, and and Aphia, our our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church 
in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. That's Philemon. Notice, I mean, it's addressed to Philemon and Aphia, probably Philemon's wife. Archippus, likely their son. Greeting, as he does, the, the entire family and the church in your house. Um, a reminder for us, all Christians are in full-time ministry, beloved. Did you know that? You're in full-time ministry. Whether you get paid for it or not, you're in full-time ministry. I'm in full-time ministry. They were in full-time ministry. Paul acknowledges that. And refers to them as such a blessing to his soul. He is now going to go to bat for his new friend, Onesimus, who is now a brother in Christ. He's a runaway. Providentially, he meets Paul, and Paul writes this postcard of a letter and is about to send Onesimus back to his rightful owner with this letter in his hand. Written by divine inspiration, preserved throughout the ages to benefit the church to this day. And we will benefit this morning, beloved. Now, the theology, friends, to be drawn from this little note is enormous. And that is the triumph of God's grace in the lives and through the lives of his forgiven people, and the extent to which God goes to grant such gracious forgiveness to those that are his. Now, if we were to summarize this book with one word, it would be the word reconciliation. That's what we're after, reconciliation, um, bringing God to man and men to God and, and men to one another, okay? That's the crowning point of this letter, okay? That's the crowning point, reconciliation. Yet underneath reconciliation are, are building blocks, building blocks of other glorious doctrines illustrated through this letter that is vital that, that we see and glean from this morning. There's, there's four amazing doctrines in view. First is an amazing illustration of gospel power to transform lives. Okay, The first, gospel power, and um, I'll bring these up as, as we get to them. Secondly is an illustration of divine sovereignty in salvation. Divine sovereignty and salvation. Thirdly, uh, we're shown the doctrine of imputation. I'll explain that when we get to it. So we see gospel power, divine sovereignty and salvation. We see the doctrine of imputation. And then fourthly, we see precious reconciliation. So gospel power, the sovereignty of, of, of salvation and imputation all provide forgiveness, and then forgiveness enables us or enables reconciliation with God and with one another. So first, let's look at gospel power. And that is Paul's amazing confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ to take a man who is a thief, he is a defector, and believe that the power of God's grace has so changed him, has so transformed him that he can send him back to his master and, and say, I know that he is not the same. 
I know for certain the grace of God has changed him. Philemon, receive him. He's a transformed man. Now, by nature, we're skeptical. Hello? By nature, we are skeptical and easily lose confidence in people. You know, we'll say once a crook, always a crook. Once a liar, always a liar. You can take the boy out of the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out of the boy. Once bitten, twice shy. By nature, we're skeptical. But we, we see Paul's confidence in the gospel to transform a life. Look at verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, in other words, I have apostolic authority. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And then notice verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. Now, the name Onesimus means useful. That's the meaning of his name. And Paul says, although useful was useless, Christ has made him useful. In other words, Christ, the work of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit has made him useful, beneficial. So this useless person, he was useless, though his name means useful, is now beneficial, and, and he's coming back to you. And by the way, Philemon, I would like you to give me some benefit. Some benefit. Notice verse 20. I want some benefit from you in the Lord. So you notice there are Paul's play on words. This one whose name is useful was useless. Now he's beneficial. Have ben Show me some benefit, would you, brother? Beautiful. Brilliant guy, isn't he? That apostle guy, brilliant. When gospel grace enters the life of an individual, the useless become useful. The unprofitable, profitable. The lazy become laborers. Slackers become soldiers. Haters and the hated become the beloved of the Lord. Power of the gospel of grace. That's what the gospel does. That is what forgiveness produces, transformation. The gospel changes who we are. The gospel changes what we are. And now, by the grace of God, Onesimus, you, me, everyone in Christ are referred to as the beloved of the Lord. The loved ones, thank you. Good amen for that. So because of Christ, we, we are not once what we once were. We are new creatures in Christ. Paul understands the power of the gospel to transform a life. That's the first thing we see. So Onesimus will be sent back uh, no longer as a mere slave, no longer as a mere indentured servant to the household of Philemon, but as a beloved brother, verse 16. He's useful, and he's your brother now. That's the first thing we see. Second, notice an amazing illustration of the sovereignty of God in salvation. Okay, and not only in the doctrine of election, okay, knowing as we do that God chooses whom he will unto salvation, not only that, but how that works itself out by way of God's providence of how God brings to pass his sovereign, predetermined will to save sinners through the affairs of men. 
you know, Spurgeon said with regard to, to that truth. He said this. You know, some minds automatically run to the doctrine of free will. My mind automatically runs to the doctrine of free grace. End of quote. So does mine. Because it's throughout every page of Scripture. Sovereign grace. In the work of salvation, friends, in the work of salvation, grace is always first. Grace is always first. It is always God who takes the initiative. Friends, God does not sit up in heaven waiting for sinners to seek him out with a desire that they want to be reconciled to God. If he did, no one would be saved. No one. Onesimus was the object of God's everlasting love and sovereign choice. The same is true for you, believer. Onesimus didn't know it, but God in his sovereignty elected this man unto salvation. And in due time, he would be transformed. He had no desire for God. Onesimus had no concern to seek out God. No one does. Look at Romans 3. Let's be reminded of this. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That includes all my neighbors who, who love to say that they're a good person. No one is good as compared to God. I'm not saying that there aren't people who are decent human beings. I'm talking about good as far as earning any kind of merit in the presence of God. We clear about that? Yeah, I like having good neighbors who don't burn stuff up and break things down or steal from me. I'm, I'm very thankful. It's called common grace. <laughs> Amen. You see where I'm coming from? When we talk about good and you're not good enough, you're no one's good enough to stand in the holy presence of Almighty God and say, look at me. No one is good and no one seeks after God. But God, from eternity past, had predetermined, Onesimus, I shall be his God and he shall be my son, and it came to pass. Now, he, he passed over other slaves, perhaps more noble, than Onesimus. That's God's doing. Look at Romans 9.15. I, says God, will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And friends, you know, his mercy never seems to flow the way we think that it will. It just doesn't. But exactly where he ordains it to flow. And you know where it flows? To every one of his sheep given to him from his father. John 6 and John 10. All that the father gives me, they will come to me. I know my sheep. When I call, they hear my voice and they come and they follow. The effectual call. Now, I don't know if Onesimus had a believing mother, you know, or believing parents, but let's just suppose that, that, that he did. What, what would his parents be doing for him? Praying. Unceasingly praying for their son to be converted. And then one day they wake up and they're given this news that, oh, your son has stolen from his master and he's taken off, he's disappeared, and he's somewhere in the swamp of Rome. How do you think they would respond to that? They'd be heartsick. They'd be weeping. 
mourning, thinking that their dear son will never come to faith in Jesus Christ. But unbeknownst to them, beloved, unbeknownst to them, this is the way God ordained for their son to come to saving faith in Christ. To steal, to run, to get caught, get thrown into prison. To repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Unbeknownst to them, if indeed he had parents that believed. Maybe you have sons. Maybe you have daughters. Maybe you have parents. Maybe you have siblings that are lost. They do not believe. And you think at this moment, they are far too gone to fellowship with me in Christ. They're just out there. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you in this, to trust in the sovereignty of God. Don't trust them. Don't put your trust in your kids or your parents or anyone else. You want to love your parents and honor your parents, but if they're not saved, your trust ought to be in God who saves. Same is true for your children. Because his spirit, we see here, can reach anyone, anywhere, so keep on praying, beloved. Amen? And I'm doing the same. We have no idea who God's elect are. Amen? No one has any idea. Not until he calls them by his grace and regenerates them. He gives them life, spiritual life. And there's no indication that God's grace is flowing in and through a lost individual until it shows itself by way of the effectual call and they're given new life and they now love Christ. Made visible. So from out of his sovereign grace, friends, from out of God's sovereign grace, God calls out from every kind of hiding place and from every evil place those that are his. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. This is what you were. Notice. But you were washed and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Friends, grace is always sovereign. Grace is always sovereign, and grace sought out Onesimus exactly where he was. On the run, trying to hide in Rome. You know, Onesimus didn't seek God any more than the apostle Paul did who penned this epistle. What was Paul doing when he was converted? Breathing threats against the church. He hated Christ. He hated Christians. He was en route to arrest Christians. And Jesus arrested him. Blinded him. Lord, who are you? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You touch my people, you touch me. Transformed. He wasn't seeking Jesus. Jesus was seeking him. Paul was being sought out. Onesimus was being sought out. And those he seeks, he finds. Look at Isaiah 62, verse 11. Behold, your salvation comes. Okay, now notice this. It's beautiful. The redeemed of the Lord. This is what he says. You shall be called sought out. You shall be called sought out. Romans 10, verse 20. Isaiah, he's so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. What do you do with that? Verses like this drive my Arminian friends crazy. 
Bless their hearts. He seeks them out. He calls them by his grace. And in time, they come to faith. Such is the case with Onesimus. He elects them by grace. He calls them by grace. And he takes them home by grace. Now, keep in mind also that the Apostle Paul is in chains by the sovereign will and purpose of God. Notice verse 1. Paul usually begins his letters with Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Notice here, it's Paul, a a prisoner of Christ. In, In other words, Jesus has me in this position. Jesus has me here. Now, he's not complaining. He's simply explaining. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm not a prisoner of Caesar. I know it may look political, but ultimately I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'm in chains for Christ's sake. Ultimately, he's behind it all. He's sovereign over my situation, says Paul. Paul knew himself to be a slave of of Christ, a a slave of Christ, redeemed sinner, a slave of Christ. Verse 9, I, Paul, an old man, (laughs) and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. A prisoner for Christ. You know, scholars believe Paul was only 60 when he penned this. That hardly makes for an old man. Amen, 60-year-olds. But look, being beaten with rods, whipped, stoned, left for dead, being shipwrecked a couple times, that'll add years to your life. Worn and torn. I'm an old man. But but see, Paul knew in the core of his being that, that the hand behind it all was the sovereignty of God. When you understand that, you will sleep well at night. When you don't, you'll stir with anxiety over everything that comes into your life. Notice verse 15. Uh, Perhaps, um, for, for, for this perhaps, notice Paul, this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever as your brother. Now, you know Paul says that with a smirk on his face. Perhaps. Paul knows God's grace is irresistible. He knows you can't hide from the sovereign grace of God. You can run all you want. You can't hide from him. This this is God's plan in bringing his sheep into the fold. He sought out Onesimus, ran him down, called him out. He hears the gospel of grace and the rest, history. Okay, now, nevertheless, friends, nevertheless, get this doctrinal picture in your mind. Nevertheless, Onesimus still belonged to Philemon, his property, and he must return. Paul has no authority to set him free. Paul has no authority to excuse him of any punishment that is due. But what does Paul do instead? He goes to work as an intercessor a mediator on behalf of Onesimus. What's that a picture of? The intercessory work of Christ on our behalf. God owns us, period. He owns all of creation. It's his. We we, we went astray from the womb, right? Astray from the womb. We robbed God of his glory and we're on the run, continually stealing the glory due his name. We did everything to malign his name. We despised him. We despised his goodness. And though we may sit down here as sinners on the run thinking, I renounce God, that does not mean We are any less his property. He owns it all. He made us. He owns us. 
we, we neither made nor, we, nor do we own ourselves. And the only hope of grace, the only hope that we have in that position is the grace and mercy of God by way of the intercessory work of Jesus on our behalf. That is, he represents us. Paul is representing Onesimus, is what he's doing. That's what that is a picture of. Beautiful. Love it. There's only one mediator between God and man. The God-man, Christ Jesus. You don't need a priest to mediate for you. You don't need Mary to mediate for you. There's one mediator. There's one intercessor. It's Jesus, the God-man, Christ, our Lord. So Paul goes to bat. And that leads us to the next illustration, and that is the, the, the amazing doctrine of imputation. Imputation. Now, to, to impute means to charge something to one's account. So let's think about this theologically before we, we look at it in detail. First is the imputation of Adam's guilt to, to all of his posterity. Adam is the representative head of all of humanity, and when he sinned, his sin was imputed to all of us, all of humanity. The guilt imputed to us. The debt imputed to us. Secondly, by the grace of God in Christ Jesus, our sin and guilt was imputed to Christ on the cross. That is, all who believe and entrust themselves to Christ you come to realize that your sin and your guilt was imputed to Jesus on the cross. In return, all of his righteousness is imputed to our account. He bore our sin, we get his righteousness. Beautiful. Imputation, okay? Notice verse 10. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became. Jump down to verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul says, charge his wrong to me. If you consider me a partner, Philemon, and he does. If Onesimus has wronged you, and he has, if he owes you anything, and he does, charge it to me. Beautiful? Any wrong he has done, any debt he has amassed, put it on my bill. I'll make payment. So Paul says, whatever he owes you, I will bear it. I'll carry it. What does that remind you of? To bear it and carry it? Isaiah 53. Surely he, Messiah, God's suffering servant, Jesus, the Christ, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes, we are healed. That is, spiritually healed. That is imputation. The gracious gift of God in Christ that grants forgiveness. He was charged with our transgression. So look at, this is what Paul is saying. When you look at Onesimus, when you look at him, you look as though you were looking at me. When you speak to him, speak as though you were speaking to me, Philemon. Receive him as a brother as you would receive me all as per Paul's intercession picture of Christ. When God looks at you, he looks at you as though he's looking at his son. You got to love it. 
God accepts every sinner who trusts his son as though they were Christ himself. That's how he sees you, believer. You are Christ when God looks at you because you're in him, in everlasting union. This is what Paul does here. You're accepted in the beloved because of the beloved, with the beloved, as though you were the beloved one, the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. Forgiven because of Christ's imputation, received because of Christ's intercession. Gospel? The gospel, 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 gospel in Philemon. Accepted because of Christ, you're accepted as Christ, nearer to God, you cannot be, beloved. Positionally. Cloaked in his righteous robes. Now, for any who are outside of Christ this morning, listen up. Listen to me. By the justice of God, God is just, you are a wanted criminal. You're on the run. He knows it. You can't hide from him. And justice demands your execution. It is absolutely righteous and just for God to destroy you. I was there. Everyone in here was there. Your only hope is to plead for mercy on the basis of God's one and only mediator, one and only intercessor, his precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that through the merits of Christ, pleading for mercy through the one and only Son of God, the one and only individual in the universe that God accepts. And as I always say, you'll be moved from the category of condemnation to the category of no condemnation. Declared free, forgiven. Christ's righteousness imputed to you. That leads to our fourth point, reconciliation. The theology of which is summed up in Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20. For in him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Okay, that is, our need for reconciliation comes from our state of alienation. Aliens, rebels, we were separated, isolated, detached, and distanced from God. And that's the picture we see here. Onesimus was alienated from his master, Philemon. Detached, not only by miles, but, but in their thinking also. Their thinking was worlds apart. Onesimus, unbeliever. Philemon, a, a believer. Separated by how they lived. Their lifestyle, separated by what they love. The world and Christ. Philemon loved Christ, Onesimus loved the world. A, a thieving slave who, who was foolish enough to think that he could find cover in an urban hideout called Rome. We are Onesimus, friends, outside of Christ. We are Onesimus, slaves of sin, slaves of sin who... who try to lose ourselves in the general population of the, of the world. We try to drown out the sound of God's conviction to our conscience. Just inundate, just inundate me with stuff, entertainment, noise. Try to press him out on the run. Not wanting to think about our true master. Trying to drown out the noise, the conviction. And you know, worse than the wrongs of Onesimus... Far worse than Onesimus. We have offended God. We've tried to run away from God. We've stolen glory from God. We've denied him. 
We've blasphemed his name. We have dirty hands. We have unclean lips. We're boastful. We're foolish, faithless, and thankless in and of ourselves. Guilty. And then grace comes. Can you, can you Christian, you identify with this, right? Then grace invades. He seeks you out. He sought you out. He sought you out. He found you. The Father sends his Son. Not to execute justice upon us. We were already condemned. But to give himself. This is, this is a rescue mission in spite of us to show us grace and favor. We deserve hell. He grants us grace and provides reconciliation with the Father through the mediation of Jesus, his son. Beautiful. 2 Corinthians 5.19. He was reconciling the world to himself, not counting, we opened with this, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's my message to you if you're not in Christ this morning. Be reconciled to God. That's a command, not a suggestion. So both parties here in this reconciliation, Philemon, Onesimus, have only one hope, and it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's grace. It enables one, it enables one to repent in return, Onesimus, and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And it enables the other to, to say, in Christ Jesus, who has forgiven me, I forgive you. And you're reconciled. Married people, do you apply that to your life with your spouse? Or are you holding a grudge and unforgiveness towards your spouse? If God has, has condescended to, to provide reconciliation, ought not we? Yeah, we should. Yeah, the answer is for sure. See, th this hurts us, man. This chafes our pride. And that's what we must crucify in order to be reconciled to, to, to one another. So we are enabled to be reconciled to one another because we've been reconciled to God. In verse 21, notice, having confidence in your obedience, okay, Philemon, having confidence in your obedience to Christ, I know you'll go above and beyond the call. That's basically what Paul's saying. And um, in verse 22, as a matter of fact, why don't you prepare a room for me because when I get, when I get out of here, uh, I'm going to pay you a visit. Perhaps in a gentle sense, he's saying, you know, I'm coming to check in on you. The apostle. And then verses 23 and 24, we see these final um, greetings um, uh, of these who are serving um, alongside of him um, during this time of his imprisonment. There's one listed there who appears to have been a true believer, Demas, but by the time Paul writes his final letter, Demas will have up and left him for a love of the world. They went out from us because they were never really of us. For had they been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us, proving they were never of us. It's not that they were saved and got unsaved. The world had a hold on them. When the going gets tough, they split. Demas. So here Paul sends Onesimus with a letter asking Philemon to forgive him. Asking him to do what's not natural for us to do. True forgiveness and reconciliation. You know, we made mention a few weeks ago that sometimes Christians struggle. They'll say, um, I thought I forgave so-and-so, but um, I still remember um, what they did um, 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 against me. So I guess if I haven't forgotten, that means I don't forgive. That's false. Okay, as we pointed out, you're not even created to forget. Am I right? 
And I quoted Vody Bauckham. He said, if you forget, there's a mental issue. You either have a concussion or dementia has set in. You can forgive, and you're still going to remember the offense, especially if it was harsh. When, when it says God forgives our sins, that doesn't mean suddenly he has amnesia. It means he is settled never to bring up the offense against you. Amen? So if you can't forgive, don't trip. Just forgive, in spite of the fact that you'll always remember. Philemon, as God, according to his unconditional sovereign gospel, that power, grace has been imputed to you, the blood of Christ, you're forgiven, and you're reconciled to God, therefore, forgive Onesimus and be reconciled. That's the message. It's the gospel message. Christian, at Pacific Hope Church, San Diego, all of the above. All of the above. The message to Philemon is a message for you. It's a message for me. If there's someone you're not reconciled with here, make it right. Get it right. Be reconciled. Amen? Otherwise, division will be used by the enemy to separate God's people from one another. Be reconciled. So Paul's message, Paul's burden, Paul's heart is God's heart and message to us in Christ Jesus. Is what we see in this little postcard of an epistle. Question as I close. Have you come to faith in Christ like this? Are you saved by God's grace from God's wrath? Do you trust Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? That is resting your eternity on the merits of Christ, his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Because let me tell you this, only on that foundation can you know for certain that when you die, you will be able to stand as one who is declared free from all blame, forgiven, cleansed, granted eternal life. It's on Christ alone. Do you know him? Like Paul, we beseech you. I beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Amen. Father, thank you for the gospel in Philemon. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love. Um, Lord, uh, may we never, ever take for granted the grace granted to us from you by way of your Son on our behalf, through the person and work of Jesus Christ alone, that we stand positionally righteous, so that when, when you look at us, you actually see your son. That, that is beyond anything that we can fathom. But by faith, we believe it. We, we trust it. Help us to trust him as we walk by faith and not by sight. And also to be reconciled to one another regularly, unceasingly, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.